We are coming into our discussion of the third of the ten spherot. So we're talking about living a mindful life, a life that we can deepen with our intention and informed by Jewish conversation throughout the, actually millennia, um, but Kabbalah is a more recent system but based in concepts that go all the way back to our beginning. So we've been talking, for those of you who haven't been here before because there's several of you, we've been talking about what does it mean to live in light of Jewish spiritual teachings that help us live our everyday lives. Uh, Where do we find that vocabulary? How do we have a common language around that? How do we share a common set of ideas and ideals? Uh, And so what we said was we have, of course, Torah. Bible is where it originates. Uh, Then we have the Midrash, the rabbinic writings, the Talmud, and other kind of Midrashim, other kinds of rabbinic writings uh, and explications of these values in in their kind of imagination. And then we get in the medieval period, the late medieval period, we get Kabbalah. We get Jewish mysticism. So we get a whole new interpretation of very old terms and concepts as seen by the medieval Kabbalists. And then we get Hasidism, right? So in case that's all really super confusing, it's okay. It's okay. We're doing this together. So we have Kabbalah, classic Kabbalah is the medieval period. Then the rabbis take that further into their own world. How do we make this translate into real Jews' lives? Think Tevya from Fiddler on the Roof. How, how does Kabbalah speak to Tevya? Well, the Kabbalists didn't really care about Tevya, to be honest, to be truthful. They were intellectuals, they were philosophers, they were the professionals in what it meant like, to deal with the you know, troubles of folks who were struggling in this way and in that way. So the, the medieval Kabbalists didn't care so much about Tevya. This was a very intellectual, a high-level pursuit. Hasidism is all about bringing Kabbalah to Tevya. That Their whole goal was how do we take the ideas of Kabbalah that are built on older Jewish ideas and how do we bring that into the everyday life of a man who's struggling to feed his family, who's struggling to figure out, you know, do I pay for this or do I pay for that? If I feel like I'm getting cheated by this one, what does that mean I do to that? Like, the real everyday lives of people. And so we go to Hasidism to look at those texts often to figure out how does Kabbalah apply? There's mathematics and there's applied mathematics, from what I'm told. (laughs) Then we have the realm of neo-Hasidism. This is the world we live in for the most part, neo-Hasidism. Looking at the ideas of the Hasidic Rebbes and their teachings and saying, okay, how do we bring that to the Tevya of today, which is us? Just regular folk, trying to make it work, trying to raise families, trying to have pets, trying to keep our commitments, being overscheduled, being burdened, being human. So neo-Hasidism is all about bringing all of those ideas from Kabbalah into our lived reality. And that's what we've been looking at. We're using the language of Kabbalah not because we love that system best, but because it's the one we have 
that people have been using for a really long time in our tradition. And the more we can have a common language and a common set of symbols and ideas and um, representative kind of pockets of stuff, we can have a more informed conversation than if we're just talking free form. Does that make sense? If we have a book club, we're all reading the same book. We're working off the same text. And that means we can talk about all of our different ideas about that, but we have kind of a place to start. So that's why we are looking at how do I live a more meaningful, deeply mindful life as a Jew today in Pacific Palisades, Venice, Santa Monica, wherever, Brentwood today. How do I do that based in Jewish understanding? Well, we, we got to... We got to use the Jewish language for that. So that's what we're learning. It is not a place to stop, it's a place to start. Okay. So, hopefully, Eileen has passed out to everybody who needs it old, older materials so that, uh, and the, everyone has the newer materials. All right. So, we talked um, last time, and Justin is working on getting me a working, because I love him. He's so amazing that he's willing to do this. Um, last minute. He's going to try to get us a working model on the wall of the spherotic system so that we can start talking about the tree without you having to look down at your paper all the time. All right. If we can't, we can't. That's fine. So how many spherot are there, people? Ten. We didn't even really unpack the first three, we kind of talked about them and discussed them, but why didn't we spend so much time on the first three? Because hmm. they're way up here. Because they're way up here. They're way up here. Right? So there's not a lot that the way up here has to really do with how we talk about um, our day-to-day interactions. It informs all of that, but like, like, do I really know what's happening with the planets and the stars and the whatever right now? Not so much, right? It may inform the reality of the universe, but it's kind of over my head. Okay, so, yeah, class needs to happen earlier, maybe, I don't know. There we go. Beautiful. So if we look at the Ein Sof, what is the Ein Sof at the very top, the Hebrew? It doesn't matter if you read Hebrew or not. That Hebrew language right at the top, what is that? What's Ein Sof, people? Nothingness. Nothing, capital N. The divine. Nothing. The first sphira that we have, the first movement even towards existence is Keter, Crown, Chochmah and Bina, wisdom and understanding. These are all spherot that are dealing with the ephemeral, dealing with the divine, dealing with another realm, which is lovely to pursue and look at. But we don't have 27 weeks, so uh, we decided to go with um, where is the place that it impacts kind of the world as it starts to emanate into materiality, into the reality, capital R, that we know, it's the lower spherot, right? The lower seven spherot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The lower seven spherot 
It's an eight-session class because we talked about intro and Ein Sof and all that loveliness to begin with. All right. We did first chesed on the right. What is chesed? Love, loving kindness. Complete, ultimate, loving, giving yumminess. Gevura. What is gevura? Strength. Order. Ah, maybe control. If we're talking about a relationship to chesed, for sure. Hmm? Discipline. Gevura is discipline. So we explored chesed. How does that work in our lives? How do we live into chesed in our lives? We talked about gevura last time we were together. Where are the boundaries? How do we hold boundaries? How do we exert discipline in our own lives, over our own chesed even, right? And we said these are not polar opposites. It's a sliding, moving continuum. And we are always moving between the poles, right? Of chesed and gevura to begin with. So what I want you to know for tonight, to start our conversation tonight, is look where Tiferet is. Tiferet is the first place that we have the two poles feeding in to a third sphera. Right? Do you see that? So I'm a very visual learner, so I kind of, I love diagrams. It does not make it more real. So people go, but that's a very defined line. Okay, just, just see it as a suggestion for those of us who are visual that it's the first chesed and gevura. They come into Tiferet. So for the first time, we have thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. So Tiferet is the first synthesis that we have between kind of the the poles that we float between as human beings. So I'm going to talk tonight about Tiferet. So imagine you've got Chesed over here, Gevura over here, and we're talking about Tiferet, right? Okay. Am I right that those are the right? Yeah. Chesed and Gevura. Okay. They both feed into Tiferet. But if you notice, Tiferet's also the center. Tiferet above Yisod is kind of the center. It's the first place that all of them have the possibility of crossing into that Sphira. All of the Spherot can come into Tiferet. That's the first time we have that. Between, you know, Keter, Bina, and Chochmah, they also, they, they relate to each other, Chochmah and Bina. Keter comes down into Tiferet. But Tiferet's the first time we have everything kind of having a, a center place to come into. Alright. Tiferet. What is Tiferet? And what does it have to do with us? You know I'm going to get there, right? You trust me that I'm going to get there. So, um, I'm going to ask you to, and just to keep you awake, make sure you don't fall asleep because oh, we're going to work through each page of the handout. I'm going to use that reasoning to say you're going to turn to the second page to start our conversation about Tiferet.
Okay, so to keep it interesting, we're starting on the second page. The balancing sphera. Right, between heaven and earth. So, as a central sphera of the tree of life, every sphera except Malchut, you see Malchut all the way at the bottom? You have to look through the ark to see Malchut, yeah? Which is so appropriate, because Malchut is actually the manifestation of the world, where the divine comes into actual being physical. Right? So it doesn't make sense that it's through the ark that you have to see that because it's the Torah, it's the physical, like actual language, actual stuff we can actually understand. Okay. So, other than Malchut, every sphera flows into Tiferet. So, what are the words that we use to describe Tiferet? We know with Chesed, it's loving kindness. We know with Gevura, it's kind of strength and boundaries. What are the words we use to define Tiferet? Traditionally, Tiferet, if you just use it in Hebrew, means beauty. Congregations called Tiferet Israel, the beauty of Israel. Right? So, Tiferet literally means beauty. But the other words associated with Tiferet are truth. And we'll, and we'll get to a little bit about why. Truth and compassion. Maybe you already have an understanding about why Tiferet, being the combination of Gevura and Chesed, might be understood as compassion. Maybe. All right. So we're on page one, creatively understood as page one, meaning the one I just told you to go to. Same page that we were just on. Tiferet is located in the, middle, in the middle pillar of the tree, characterized by balance between opposites. It synthesizes between chesed on the right pillar, which represents complete kindness, outpouring, and expansion, and gevura on the left pillar, representing judgment and restriction. This is a review for a lot of you. It's new for some of you. Optimally, which I love. This is so Jewish. It's so Jewish. Tiferet is the balance. And we think the perfect balance. Don't we? In our Western society, it's the perfect balance. That's not Jewish. That's not rabbinic. Perfectly? Where does Tiferet fall? A little bit to the side of Chesed. So we see balance as perfectly equal. That's not very Jewish. Jewishly, the best equal is a balance between boundaries and strengths and rigidness and, and differentiality and love and kindness and goodness and yumminess. Like, we think in our Western culture, I think, that the perfect balance goes right down the middle, not in Judaism. Judaism and probably some other traditions say the balance that's perfect for us is one that is balanced, yes, but tipped towards chesed. Tipped towards loving kindness. Yeah? Going on. So, 
you'll find where I am coming down to the next big paragraph. It is not simply a matter of compromise between the two, but Tiferet is an entire third principle that is able to blend and balance two opposites. I think of this as parents. If you're talking genetics, you got this parent and this parent, and the child is a combination of the two. Does that mean the child's gray? Like you got black and white. Is a child gray? No, the child is a unique new being in the world. That is how the Kabbalists understood what it means to take chesed and gevura and have them harmonize in tiferet. It doesn't mean tiferet's a combination of those and that's all it is, God forbid. Tiferet is a new thing. It's a new manifestation of the divine in the world and in our psyche and in our minds and in our hearts and in our spirits. It's its own thing. So that's what I want to also introduce you to is the Kabbalistic idea that, and probably other spiritual traditions as well, it's not just you take two things and you kind of dilute each so it becomes a mixture. That's not the idea. The idea is with these two things, when they manifest and come together, there's a third new thing that's brought into being. And that for us today, tonight, is Tiferet. A way to consider this principle would, would to, back to your page, a way to consider this principle would be to think of two opposite colors, black and white. If we simply compromise by mixing them half and half, the result is homogenous gray, dull artwork indeed. However, a skilled artist can use both black and white together to create form and figure with black lines white background, highlights and shadows to create a masterpiece that goes beyond mere black and white. The integrity of both colors remains. Black is not asked to be white, nor white asked to be black. Without either, the full picture could not remain. So I know my artists are with me. Yes? My artists are with me. T. Ferret is not gray. It is what black and white, when brought into relationship, bring forward. So we have black, charcoal, let's say, white canvas. They are separate. They are different. They have very different qualities. When you bring them together, if you do it the way the Kabbalistic system and Jewish spirituality understands it, you're bringing one together with the other to inform each other. You have a portrait, you have a landscape, you have, which I've never understood, an apple and a pear and a bowl. But the black and the white remain, to a large extent, separate. But you bring them together in a way and you blend them in certain places in a way that brings a whole new image into being. That is the idea here. It's not that we mix chesed and gevura and then live as happy human beings. It's that we bring gevura to inform chesed and chesed to inform gevura. And when we succeed at that, which is rare, when we succeed at that, what do we create? We create beauty. We create beauty. We create compassion. Because compassion is not actually 
anything goes because I adore you so much that I'll let you do anything. Strict justice says I can't let you get away with anything because it's not fair. Compassion is about holding both of those things at the same time. I love you. You deserve to be punished. Or you deserve whatever consequences come from whatever behavior. Compassion is about exploring the relationship between those two things and that's a whole new idea. It's not chesed and it's not gevurah. It's something new. But it's about something, it's informed by the relationship between chesed and gevurah. Does that make sense? Okay. I promise we're going to get to how this works in our world. Yes. Tifera is something new. So if we're going to work from our keter, Ein Sof, all the way down into how the divine starts to manifest in the world, we're coming through something brand new, which is Tifera. Yes. And of course, nothing's new. Because creation is constantly renewed, say the rabbis, every day. We say it in our prayer book. Every day creation is renewed. So every day we're doing this again. What is old is new. Dana's asking about the evil inclination and the good inclination. So creativity is each day we start fresh, and you said, but there's this little thing too. We are the tov and the ra. We are the good and the bad. Absolutely. We're going to get there. If we have time, because I know it, it, I have kind of a full agenda tonight, but if we have time, and I've given you, so you can read it at home, and then we can talk, you'll come in and we'll have coffee and we'll talk. Um, um, that's exactly where the rabbis go. That's exactly where the rabbis go with this. Yetzer HaTov and Yetzer HaRa. And, and what do we kind of do with that mix? I saw another hand. Yeah, uh, I, I was thinking about my shadow. Each time I look at my shadow, it's different. Every time you look at your... Shadow. Mehmet asked, saying that every time you look at your shadow, it's different. It's not me. It's never the same. And it, each time is different. And each mixture is different. I see my shadow. It changes because I change. My relationship to the light changes. My relationship to the darkness that blocks the light changes. Beautiful image, Mehmet, um, that... Like a shadow, it's constantly changing, and it's about the relationship between dark and light. And our shadow is kind of an interesting, animated thing in its own way, even though like, it, it's, a it's a relationship between light and dark, but it's its own thing. My shadow is its own thing. Exactly, like <laughs> just saying. Um, yeah, I hope my child's not my shadow, but that's a whole other conversation that we're not going to get into tonight. So when you flip your thing over, the page that we were just on, if you flip it over, right, it says, there are still beautiful ways we can integrate this concept of the middle pillar, meaning Tiferet, into our lives. One example provided by this person's Kabbalah teacher is the concept of equanimity. So we might add to these words, which is what's happening, like with modern um, folks, contemporary folks weighing in. So some people want to understand this in our spiritual teaching for today. They want to understand Tiferet as equanimity. Okay. 
I see this a lot. Like when I look at writings today about Tiferet, I see a lot of people using this term、um, equanimity in another one that we're going to get to. So equanimity, what does that look like? Drop down. Equanimity teaches us to respond, not react. We've been talking a lot about that in here. That that's what all of his teaching is about. How do we respond and not react? To remain centered and balanced in the world of changes and conflicts. As any celebrity knows, one day the world may applaud you, the next day they insult you. It can be easy to lose yourself in the drama, but if you know who you are and what you've come to create, you don't let it sway you. Whatever you hear from right or left, you stay centered on your goal. Right? Right. So I want to come back to practice. Whose job is it going to be to remind me to come back to practice on this page before the end of our class? Thank you, Kayla. Kayla, I'm so glad you're here tonight. So、um, Kayla lost a dear friend at work this week, and she's still here、uh, to be with us and to learn and to grow and to be in community. And that is an incredibly courageous act, and that is some serious beauty. I'm just gonna say, serious beauty that she's living into being here tonight. All right. So that was our first look at Tiferet. Our first look into. This new sphere. We're going to take our second look at it, and like I said, just to keep you awake and keep things interesting, you're going to turn to the last page in your packet. That looks like this. The week of Tiferet. It says, and this is Dr. David Sanders. So another word being used right now about Tiferet is integration. So what I'm I'm not trying to bring you the interpretation of any of this stuff. I'm bringing you toys that we get to play with in the sandbox of how does Jewish stuff, Jewish wisdom. Through hundreds and hundreds of years, inform my ability to live to lead a more meaningful and more focused and mindful life. Right. So I'm bringing you the toys. You get to arrange them in the sandbox. So one term being used today, one toy being played with around Tiferet is equanimity. The other is integration. Which makes sense, since it's the first time we have synthesis from thesis and antithesis. It makes sense that integration is another kind of concept and value that we can take、uh, into our lives. So let's look at that. We are interpreting Tiferet's integration, says、um, the teaching. The word Tiferet itself means beauty. Or that which harmonizes and balances. So this is a way of looking at Tiferet as not just the result of the Mix of Chesed and Gevura, but something that actually pushes upwards onto them. Does that make sense? The energy of integration pushes up into our impulse to Gevura and our impulse to Chesed. It's not a one-way street. It's not just down. The direction also goes up. We know it goes across because we've exploring, been exploring that for a few weeks. But it also goes down, but it also goes up. So there is a force because it's not about temporal stuff. One didn't happen before the other, according to the Kabbalists. It's just kind of the 
unpeeling of the onion. Like there's, it just is. And here we peel it apart. And one of the components is tiferet that pushes up into our gavura and our chesed. When we can tap into beauty, integration, when we can tap into equanimity, it will influence both our chesed, tendency to chesed and our tendency to gavura in a good way. So one of the teachings is Tiferet is not just a result, it's its own thing. So what do I have to do? I have to cultivate equanimity. I have to cultivate integration. How do I do that? We're going to talk about that. I would never leave you hanging, God forbid. So, well, it means something about exploring the truth of the moment. And it means doing so with a, from a place of compassion, both for ourselves and for the subject of whatever it is we're going to be bringing ourselves to bear on. Yeah? All right. Tiferet is usually explained as the integration of chesed and gevura. But as you can see, Tiferet draws integration from all the spherot, those above and those below. So what do we actually mean by integration? It's not integration of these two things, obviously, because... Tiferet's receiving from above and receiving from below, so it's its own sense of integration. I will attempt briefly to integrate for you the work of Daniel Siegel in his book Mindsight. Integration, he says, might be the principle underlying health at all levels of our experience, from the microcosm of our inner world to our interpersonal relationships and life in our communities. Okay, let's just stop there for a sec. Yeah? Let's take that in. Integration might be the principle underlying health at all levels of our experience. From the microcosm of our inner world, meaning, right, health there, to our interpersonal relationships and our life in community. What the heck does that mean? It's a little like Heschel. I'm like, that's Gorgeous. I have no idea what that means. But doesn't that feel powerful? Integration might be the key to health. So, Carol? So, Carol's saying it's about communication. Communication within the cells to make sure that everything is. Between the cells, communication between cells means everything is working. Systems of the body, communications outward, which is also community, which helps keeps us balanced and live a healthier life. So to me, it's, it's those into when you talk about interrelationships. So the communication between us and other people, the communication between us and the larger world and the larger community. So communication, like how does that happen? There's a free flow of information, <laughs> like from Chesed. And Gavura has to establish some boundaries around the communication. Our brains take in, on the Chesed side, everything. But there's, thank God, parts of our brain that say, ignore that, ignore that, ignore that, ignore that, and it happens trillions of times a second. Ignore that, ignore that, ignore that. That's Gavura. So even communication is a balance between chesed letting it all in, 
because we love it all, don't we? And Gavur is saying, but without boundaries, I'm completely overwhelmed and don't know what to pay attention to. Right? So communication is a perfect example of the synergy, the balance required, and the new thing that comes in to being. So the letting all the information in might be chesed. Gavura says, wait, ignore that. Don't worry about that. If it's a snap twig, you don't have to worry about that. You live in a house. You're not going to be saber-toothed tiger food, right? What comes out of those two things being in harmony, in balance, is tiferet, then you might call communication. I have the ability to take the information Gavura has allowed in that chesed encourages and if we slide it to the side of compassion how do I communicate my understanding about that in a way that's respectful and helpful and productive and building of relationships like you said between myself between me and someone else and me and the broader community. Do you see how this starts to make some sense? That it's not just an esoteric old medieval system? Do you see how it lives and breathes? I know where Freudian analyst understands how these systems are not locked in stone. They are for us to play with. We can decide, like Carol just, I've never seen communication be a part of this conversation, but it's a perfect example, right? So. The goal is to have enough fluidity in the system, which is what we understand to be divine harmony. That's how it's supposed to go. But our familiarity, at least with some categories, that we can start saying, okay, how how am I doing on the chesed part this week? Right? How am I doing on the gavura part? Where where is it out of whack? And Tiferet comes to inform us about truth. Real truth. The only goal of any of this language and any of these systems and any of these diagrams and any of this stuff we're talking about is to get us healthy on the inside and ways to talk to ourselves about that health and a way to talk to someone else about my health, right? Um, in a language that we share so that we can do exactly that. You're exactly right. It's about my internal health. But how do you say I'm feeling a little... What we need, a, we need words, we need language, and this was the spiritual language of the rabbis into the neo Hasidic period and into our contemporary times. People are reclaiming this language because you can use ego, id, super ego. Okay, that's one set of references, that's fine, and that's been really helpful for a lot of people. If we're not in therapy though with an expert, how do we, as regular people, access some of? some of the ways of talking about that with each other and with the past and getting their advice. Here's how you deal with an id that's out of control. We don't have thousands of years of writings about how to deal with an id that's out of control. Oh, but yeah, we do, because here it is. Right? This is our, it is a new term for the Yetzer. And I'm not going to say Tova Ra. I'm not going to say the Yitzhar Hatov, the evil inclination or the good inclination. I'm not going to say that. It's for our inclinations is what I would say it is. But my point is, this gives us a language to start talking about our inner health to ourselves and hopefully to somebody else. I'm struggling this year in my life 
with setting some real boundaries that will protect me and my family from real damage that's happening. Or, right, I need more chesed. I feel so judgmental. I feel snappy. I feel dismissive. I'm sick of it. I've had it. I don't want to hear your opinion. I don't want to hear your take because I already know what you're going to say because I watch the news. So, I ha- so it's actually supposed to be a way to have conversation with self, with other, and with communities, what I think we just read. All right. Go to your first page. Oh, sorry, George, you had something to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As usual. Given, Come, talk to us. Given a trip to Albuquerque to look at Converso's Conversos and crypto Jews. In the men's room of the hotel, I saw a wonderful saying. I mentioned that first part to give the Jewish context. There's not a phone number after it, right? That I'm not telling you. But it was uh, in the men's room. It said, Life is a bitch, but sometimes she has puppies. And I think. Well. There you go, folks. I think that's a different language. Kabbalah has nothing really to add to that statement of reality that life is a bitch and sometimes she has puppies. There was another saying, says Judith, in the, in the men's room? I hope not. Okay. I to go there. I wish you had invited us to come see that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was another saying that said, I wish that the question of why the chicken crossed the road could be left without judgments and just allowed to cross the road. That's kind of a... So, like, we shouldn't question the chicken? Right. Just the chicken crossed the flipping road. Why do you need to examine the chicken and its motives? Because it's kind of suspicious, isn't it? Why did you cross the road? Why are you asking me why I crossed the road? Well, why are you resentful that I'm out? Right. That's where it goes. There really was more to the week than these two sayings. (laughs) I sure hope so. Okay. On your front page. Tiferet allows us to hold tension as an act of grace. I love that. To hold tension as an act of grace. Bottom paragraph on your first page. It doesn't hit us over the head, but it can throw us for a loop because of its comfort with contradiction and paradox. We need this more than ever in my lifetime And it is more dangerous if we don't achieve this. The stakes are higher than I have ever known them to be, even in my grandparents' understanding. Well, actually, my grandparents is their great, you know, their parents that were suffering from all kinds of things because my grandparents have been here for three generations. But the point is, like, they, they knew what it was not to have that. The real danger is when you don't have the ability to hold what did I just say? Contradiction and paradox. Because if you don't hold that, one of these two is going to take over. 
in spades. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. That's what it's, it's what's happened everywhere in Rome. There was a great republic, a repub. What does he call it? A, a representative democracy, and it failed because they could not hold contradiction and paradox with grace. So then you need a totalitarian something to come in to solve the contradiction. To resolve a paradox and say, no, no, no. It's actually not paradoxical. It's actually this. That's what happens when we cannot hold contradiction and paradox with grace. Tief Eret is that space I think we need more than ever to learn how to live into. And I do not have the answers. I have some language around it. I do not know what that means, but I do know it means we cannot demonize each other the way that we are right now. Because we're unable to hold the real difficulty of contradiction and paradox. It makes us too uncomfortable. If we don't figure out a way as individuals, as communities, as a society to hold that a little bit better, we are going to tip to one place or the other and neither one of them, as we know from our teachings, is going to be good. Right? This is too mushy, it collapses. This is too rigid and it shatters. All right. It doesn't mean we have to agree, by the way. It doesn't mean we have to tolerate the outrageous, by the way. It means we have to hold some things that are uncomfortable enough to figure out how to deal with them. Because if we don't bring our adult selves, our mature spiritual selves to bear on the issues, then there's no hope for this representative democracy, right? So I'm not saying this stuff is esoteric and out there. It's right here, right now. All right. So, give me any questions you've got about this, because we're going to move into a little bit more, like how the rabbis interpret this, and into a different direction. So if you want to say anything, or ask anything, or comment on anything that we've been doing so far, I want to hear it now. Yes, ma'am. What I'm saying makes you think of vision, like eye vision, or eye vision. like mental vision? Eye vision. Eye vision, okay. How your eyes see separately, but your mind combines them. But if you look, for example, to the left, and, and then look at that, keep the same focus, but close each eye separately, you are seeing it differently. But the true vision is when you allow beautiful another metaphor that is real right it's both a metaphor and it's actually real that we see differently with each eye but when we bring them to bear we see at greater depth and we see a better representation of what's actually going on I gave a high holiday sermon where I said I had turned 50 and all of a sudden I needed glasses because I said to the doctor, I'm getting headaches, and I haven't had an eye exam in a long time. Um, well, the thing is, Rabbi, you have one eye that's nearsighted and one eye that's farsighted. That's how you've gotten to 50 without needing glasses. And I said, well, what the heck is that? Like, and he goes, but now you're at a point where you need glasses to correct a little bit of each. He said, but when I get both of your eyes 
aligned, you will see things at so much more depth. And I thought, there's a sermon. Because <laughs> that's how I think. But it was exactly that, that our eyes see differently for some of us, literally really differently. And when you can get them at least aligned enough to see, they can see the same thing and finally start talking about the same reality. Who's laughing at me still? Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course that's who's still laughing. Anna. Okay. So we're going to go to Kivun 5 materials. So Mark Edelstein, as you know, is studying with the uh, Institute for Jewish Spirituality. What am I, how am I doing on time? I am... We have a few minutes, right? Okay. <laughs> I love Laura Dimer. All right. So this is an example... This is lay people going to the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. I did the rabbinic program. They would have given me the same text. It's not a different text for the lay people. It's just the next iteration, right, of it. So it's the new and improved or the new version, whatever. So this is the kind of way we rabbis study these texts and these ideas and the way lay people who are encouraged when they're going in depth about this stuff, which is y'all, how we go into depth about it. So stay with me. Okay? Alright. So you're on page Kivun 5 materials. It has a little 13 in the bottom right corner. Yes? Okay. Tiferet beauty, and you know this already, is the sphera that balances between and integrates chesed and gevura. It represents a state in which both beauty and truth may be found. So we're going back to this word. They're not using that word by accident. Truth is one of the words, as is beauty, used to describe tiferet. Tiferet means in Hebrew beauty, but truth is one of the things used about this particular sphera, this manifestation of the divine. Mindfulness, which is what we're here to explore as well, right? That's what we've been talking about. Mindfulness is sometimes called a practice of radical truth-telling. So some of that lives in tiferet. Truth-telling the truth is a balance of <laughs> it's a very tricky exploration of chesed and kapura telling the truth ain't it ain't it in my world it is in any moment we turn our attention to what is happening investigating what it is that we perceive or feel this is mindfulness radical truth telling to ourselves we turn our attention to what is happening, investigating what it is that we perceive or feel, checking to see where our personal story about our situation may obscure something more real. She looked at me like I was nothing. Might my personal story be obscuring something that was more real in that situation? Maybe the more real explanation is she was exhausted and just got a call that her grandfather is in the ICU. But she has to meet with you because if she doesn't, there's consequences to her that are very real. They could threaten her ability to care for her children. Forget her grandfather. Now she's got kids too. Like, so possibly that's what was... So is my story obscuring something more real? That's the question always to ask. 
At IJS, the question was always, is it true? Is it true? You can know, obviously you're not on mind reading, but can you settle down? Can we take a breath? Can we take a beat? And with some curiosity, no judgment, just a lot of curiosity say, is that true or is that my story about it? What evidence do I have that that's true? Right? And just doing that creates a new dynamic between us. Yeah? Right. So that's how this manifests in our actual lives to live lives of deeper meaning and uh, perception and wholeness. Sure. Yes. I, I felt like you just said something really important, and then you moved kind of quickly. Okay. About taking a taking a moment to say, is there something in my way of seeing the truth of what's going on here? I feel like that's something I do, not always successfully, but that's that's the work. That's the work, and that's what we've been talking about in here: is how do we cultivate the ability. To take just half a second more. If we can get to a second, that's amazing. Like, how can we do half a second longer between the trigger and the lighting of the torch? <laughs> If we can get half a second, a whole second is amazing. That's exactly how it feels. It's that struggle to, after something, after missing that second of saying, where did that's, I pause? That's the work. That. That's the work. Exactly. All right. Thank you for that. This pursuit of truth, one aspect of Tiferet, can bring us to a greater appreciation of the beauty and balance already present in the world. Tiferet is already manifest in the world. We're just unaware of it <laughs> a lot of the time. We pass it by all the time. And inclines us to seek greater balance and alignment with ourselves and in our world. Right? Drop down to the next paragraph, second sentence. Each moment invites us to discern which midah, because we've talked about these are the spherot, but they translate into spiritual aspects of our being, the midot. Which midah or combination of midot is called for? How we might respond most wisely to each situation and how we might best manifest these innate divine qualities in the world. Because this is not only a description of the divine and of reality, capital R, but of us. So we are constantly being invited to engage dynamically and have these aspects of ourselves engage dynamically so that we do create and manifest the beauty of truth. Because it might be hard, but truth is a beautiful thing. Because that's where freedom lies. Once we see the truth, we have freedom to choose our response to that, right? If we don't know the truth, we're working off of, I don't know, a crazy, made-up something. That never leads us to a place of beauty. Yes, Judith. I use the word shalom as a sense of, a sense of wholeness. And that's what I'm seeing here. Yes. And it's balanced, that shalom of wholeness. 
So ultimately, shalom, a, a state of peacefulness, a state of serenity, can only be achieved by, um, what do they call it in medicine, stasis within the systems, right? What would you call it in Freudian terms? Homeostasis, right? So ha- keeping it kind of in balance. And that means we're in constant motion, right? So when I was recovering from hip surgery, like one of my exercises was to stand on the operative leg and lift my right leg. And at first it was holding on to something, right? And I was like, oh, come on, right? It's holding me up. I'm walking, sort of. So like, really? So I held onto the bar and I did the thing and I picked up my right leg and I was flabbergasted by how many movements were happening in my operative leg to try to keep me upright. And had I let go of the bar, I would not have been standing upright. But if I stand on my non-operative leg, those adjustments are still happening as I'm standing here before you on one leg. They're still happening, but I don't notice them so much. Because that leg is strong. That leg is healthy. I keep it strong, right? I keep it healthy by doing yoga or whatever I do. Practice, practice, practice. practice. Because when we practice and we keep it strong, the movements are happening all the time. Micro-movements are happening all over the place. But we don't notice them because we've strengthened the muscles that are needed to keep everything in balance. But once you're injured, once we're hurt, and I I mean it literally, once we're injured, once we're hurt, what happens? The whole thing tips. And once the whole thing tips, because we're in pain, now all of those movements are dramatic and kind of chaotic, and they're not working together yet, and they don't know what's going on. So one overreacts, then I overcorrect, now I'm going to fall over, because go on and on and on and on and on and on. It's, this is reality. Mentally and physically. Every way. Spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, absolutely in every way. This is reality. And the rabbis knew how to talk about that. That pain throws us off. And it throws off our balance. And once we throw off our balance, right? Yucky stuff is going to happen to us and to everyone we interact with. And that's okay, by the way, to the rabbis. That's okay. We're going to snap at somebody. We're going to like take something personally that wasn't meant that way. That's okay. The work is to keep strengthening the muscles and the communication between the brain and the heart and the muscles so that we come back into balance a little more quickly. Can I stand forever right now on my operative leg? No. I can't. That's never going to happen. But I can do so long enough from practice that I'm fairly functional (laughs) on most days. But if I overwork or stress it, right, immediately the whole thing gets thrown off again. And I don't mean to hammer this one metaphor, but I'm trying to say this is not esoteric and out there. The rabbis really meant this to be lived in our daily lives lives and in our relationships and in our families and in our communities because there's tension 
There's hard stuff. There's pain. That's what it means to be human. So what do we do with that? Here's one of the ways. The main way for right a long time our tradition talked about. I just wanted to say that maybe the rabbis wanted one to also realize that the truth is the body's never going to be just the same. So maybe in that struggle to find the balance, you know, while you while one is doing it, you find beauty and you yes. you know you identify that, and that's a hard thing. Because it felt so good before. Says the ballet dancer who blew out a knee. Yeah. So, but you can find beauty or truth in a new way. But it's hard to take a breath and stop. And right. And for them, notice that beauty and truth are together. They are the same thing. Because when we look in the mirror, if you, have you ever been to the dermatologist and like seeing your skin? And oh my God. The damage, people. The damage from the sun that keeps us alive. The damage is terrifying when you see it up close. But our tradition says truth is beauty. The way the way our culture sees things, beauty is all about. Hiding the truth when we're talking about aging, when we're talking about blowing out a knee as a ballerina, when we're talking about any of the ways we are challenged and compromised from the you know ideal, perfect, whatever. Our tradition says truth and beauty they they are in essence the same thing. It is our struggle as human beings with our own you know. Attachment to whatever you want to point to on this system or any other system, it is our problem that we don't see that. It's our culture that tells girls they are not thin enough or white enough or rich enough, and it's our culture that tells boys you can't cry and you better make a prestigious, you know, leap in life or you're not worth anything. It's our culture that does that, but that's not true. The truth. When we see it from a place of compassion, is by definition, according to Judaism, beautiful. Which means we have to rethink what beauty is about, because to our tradition, it's about equanimity and integration. That's what's beautiful for the rabbis, for the long history of our wisdom tradition. When we can integrate. When we can take opposites and pull them somehow together and figure out what the new thing is from that, when we can settle down, I'll close. I was going to do this other text with you, but I'm afraid I'm going to keep you too long. But we'll see. We'll see where we get. But so I was going to do that one. Let's do. I want to go to this other one. Uh, the helicopter and the boat. Where's that one? The helicopter and the boat. From the book. Mind something something. Oh yeah. So your page that's labeled the balancing sphera, Tifera, the balancing sphera. Flip that page over, so you see right between heaven and earth, balance between opposites. Flip that page over. Yeah, we were reading there for a while, and then I quit.、Um, go down to where it says practice. So, so about bringing this into our everyday lives. Here is excellent practical 
here's an excellent practical exercise that my Kabbalah teacher suggests to learn to balance the opposites, solving all the conflicts. It's called the helicopter and the boat, taken from his book, A Body Speak Manual. The view from the helicopter and the boat. Exercise. In any situation in life, imagine that you are seeing yourself from far above, from the helicopter view, where you can get the bigger picture and see how small your situation and worries are. Observe yourself and your situation objectively. I would say if we're going to live Jewishly, with a little bit of Rahmanas, a little bit of compassion as well. So objectively leaning towards compassion. Then return to the boat view to seeing from your own personal perspective where you can act and make decisions based on what you have seen from the helicopter. This is equanimity. This is integration. That we say, okay, there's a bigger picture which scares me to death because I'm worried that I'm not going to have enough money or going to retire or whatever our big picture fears are, right? It's okay. Go there. Okay, hold the macro view. See everything from that perspective, including an argument I just had with my partner. Go to the macro view. How do y'all get along generally? How's it for your kid? Does she live in a peaceful, loving household? How does it look from the community's perspective? Do they like you and Judy together? How, how does it work? Like, look at the big picture. And from that helicopter view, come into, okay, so what does that say to me about this particular interaction with my partner? And it might be, okay, because of all that too, this makes me even more angry when I go to that view. That you could so live outside of our, which would never happen, but... Um, or does it help me say, you know, given the helicopter view, this is really small. And it might hurt you and it might bother you. And that's okay. I can own that. And I can say, and I'm able to see that there's a much larger perspective that enables me to say your interest right here, Amy, in this particular interaction, in this moment, or this decision, or this dinner that she wrecked that would ever happen um, is not so critical so can you just let it go if you know it's not critical if you know in the bigger scheme of helicopter that it's not can you just let it go and then you pay attention to the answer because sometimes the answer and a lot of times the answer is yeah I can and sometimes the answer is you know what mm 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 hmm Give me five minutes and I'll let it go is a great answer. Give me five minutes. Let me feel what I'm feeling. Give me five minutes and then, then I'll be able to let it go. We were driving to my daughter's bat mitzvah party. Um, don't tell anyone I told you this. So we were driving to my daughter's bat mitzvah party and she couldn't, she didn't have the outfit she wanted. She didn't because I'd asked her to go shopping 17 times. She didn't want whatever. She was miserable. She lost this. She couldn't find the jewel. She's sobbing in the car on the way to her bat mitzvah party and like all these people flew in from out of town all of these people were here to celebrate you all of them have taken time out of their lives have spent the money the energy to raise you to get to this point you cannot 
be miserable at your bat mitzvah party. Not okay. From the back seat, she says, Mother, let me have my feelings. Let me feel my feelings and I will get over it. I will deal with it by the time I get there. But you need to let me have my sadness and my frustration and my five minutes to get over it. Which is fair. That's completely fair. I get to feel my boat feelings. Where I'm sitting on the boat, I'm wet, I'm sunburned, the sun has set, there's no alcohol, whatever. Like I... Whatever, I'm done, right? Um, that's okay. The helicopter view allows us to say, okay, so take five minutes for that aim, and then come back to us, like having, let it go because there are, there are things that are, and, and sometimes, and I want to reiterate this, sometimes the helicopter view allows us to say, that's all lovely, but the boat wins. Most stuff I can let go, don't you ever ever again use that word or whatever it is like I can't abide that it won't ever work and I don't care how silly it seems to everybody else don't do that again I've always said don't touch me when I'm mad don't touch me (laughs) bottom line helicopter all you want to when I'm mad don't touch me the kind of patting you on the knee don't there or putting their hand on your shoulder, don't touch me when I'm mad. Because what you're saying to me is it's not okay what I'm feeling right now. And that won't fly. Particularly when I'm mad. And if I'm mad at you, just magnify that by how much. That doesn't mean it's right. That doesn't mean it makes sense to anyone else. What it means is sometimes the boat wins. Our boat view of, you just can't do that to me. Because I, I, for whatever reasons that go way beyond this great man's ability to analyze, I, I can't even explain it to you, but don't do it. So the, but that's the work. The helicopter and the boat are the ways to get to a place of equanimity. And the text that we're not going to go through tonight, uh, but that I gave you from the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, talks about how the rabbis explore this as often between pridefulness and humility. So equanimity for them is often expressed in texts about proud, I'm proud of what I do in the world, I'm proud of who I am, we should be. I'm an image of the divine in the world. I'm a unique manifestation of the divine in the world that will never come again. It's never happened before and it will never come again. That is amazing. And when that gets out of control, right, you know where that goes. But we also say the rabbis get trapped by being too low, too humble. Who am I, in their words, who am I to pray to the master of the universe? I'm too small. Well, if I'm too small to pray to the master of the universe, then I don't have a relationship with the master of the universe. Well, guess what? That excuses me from a lot of things, doesn't it? If I'm always weak and always the victim... That kind of excuses me from a lot, doesn't it? If I'm not praying to the master of the universe, in their words, the king, then, because I'm not worthy, then I'm not informed or changed by prayer either. I'm so low. Look who thinks he's nothing. You know, that Jewish show. So, um, both are traps. Both are equally unhealthy. 
So the rabbis really explore equanimity、um, a lot of times in the terms of how do we hold ourselves in enough esteem and respect to do what we need to do in the world, to have enough confidence, enough chutzpah to like even challenge and change things in the world. Can you imagine that?、Um, and how do we balance that with humility? How do we balance that with I don't know everything? I need to listen to someone else's opinion. I need to learn from, right? All people, even if I don't want to, <laughs> I have to learn from my own mistakes because I'm not perfect. How do we hold those things、um, in some kind of real balance? And they change from day to day. Like sometimes I need to be to stand before y'all on Yom Kippur. At that stage, I had better have some chutzpah and some self-confidence, or I don't belong up there. I better believe, which is crazy to believe, that I have something to say to 2,400 really smart, evolved people. You get up and talk to 2,400 really successful, amazing people and tell them you have something to inform them about on their day where they're ready to hear something. It's it's think about that. That's a crazy job. So I gotta have enough confidence to do that, but I also better be humble enough to hear a board member or a congregant come to me and say, "You know, your email really offended me. I really disagree with that. I was really outraged by it, but I respect you enough to come talk to you about it. I better have the humility to sit and hold that and say, 'Okay, where could I have done something differently? Where would I do it the same?'" How do I learn from this person? Why it was hurtful to them? And this actually happened, like about an email I sent out. And I'm like, so can you show me the language in the email where you drew that conclusion from what I said? Because what I said was, because I worked the email over 17 times. What I said was, well, that's not what I heard. Okay. okay. So that's really important for me to know. So I have to have the humility to say that person. So the next time I'm ready to send out a send out a controversial email, and I know which side of all this stuff you fall on, may I send it to you? May I send it to you and have you tell me where you would be triggered? And he said, I would really love that opportunity. I'm giving you the successful moments for me. <laughs> I don't always achieve that. But but that but th- those are that that was equanimity for that that's what we're talking about the balance between us and we fail all the time sometimes we succeed that's not the point the point is working towards it and being aware of it and being mindful all the time okay I'm gonna stop talking as soon as I read to you those of you who got had ehia a kabbalah for tomorrow oh there's my hair oh yoga God who else was in that class Lisa are you hurting so bad. Oh, thank God. Okay, God, our yoga class literally kicked my butt this week. All right, so、um, this ehia akabalah for tomorrow. If you've never been here before, you got this tonight. If you've been here before, don't worry about it. You have it. I'm on page 51. And when we're talking about this whole system, because we, I don't have time to go through the whole text with you that the rabbis did, which is lovely. You should read it on your own and the commentary on it、um, about. Pride and humility. I'll close with this. So a lot of people might say, Rabbi, this is a total projection. This whole system, the whole God language, the whole God concept. 
the whole thing is all a projection. Like, how, this is not real. Right? So why, why are we spending so much time on it? And so, and, and in going through the Sphirot and looking at, at Tiferet and blah, 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 this is at the end of Tiferet. Um, when he's talking about Tiferet art green, when he goes into this digression. So um, I was like, okay, that's a digression. I don't need to do that with them. But I wrote in the margin, if there's time, and I really love it. All right, so go with me. So this is kind of a broader concept. It's not just about Tiferet. It's a bigger conversation. All right, page 51. If you don't have it, don't worry about it. You have it at home. To us postmoderns, it may seem clear that what we are describing here is projection. God, in quotes, is structured this way because this image of God is the creation of humans. And, in fact, the creation of Jews. And he's talking about Kabbalah. And this is the way we have conceived our God. The essential tension between love, chesed, and judgment, gevura, is part of human experience, reflecting our struggles in relating both to ourselves and to others. So this is a complete projection. You can't say this is reality. This is our understanding of reality as humans. We deal with chesed and gevura. We struggle with those things and how they manifest in Tiferet. That's not God. Drop down to the next paragraph. Some voices within the Kabbalistic tradition would agree that all of our images of God are, in fact, projection. Duh, for some of us, right? A lot of us in this room. Drop all the way down to the last sentence in that paragraph. The endless one, or source of all, present within us, within all that is, manifests itself to us in a way that calls upon us to create religions, worshipful forms in which we can acknowledge that one. Yes? Do you see the flip there? Lovely. This includes fashioning images of the divine that make the mystery accessible to us, both intellectually and emotionally. God is father as well as mother. God is kindly ruler and passionate lover. Also, God is flowing stream and shining light are all part of this great human effort to give word and image to that which lies beyond expression in either. In short, we may accept from modernity the psychological and historical insights that view religion as projection. Okay, we can accept that. We're moderns, we can get that. But our post-modernity... I love postmodernity stuff. It's like, oh, we're so hip. We are so beyond, right, the modern. But our postmodernity requires us to go another step. This one learned from the insights of mystics in our tradition as well as others. And what is that step? The mirror of projection goes both ways. We may project a God image that reflects us. But God may also project a human reflection that reflects God. We may have projected a God who reflects our own cultural and historical setting, but we did so because we felt within us the stirring of a deeper reality in which we ourselves are mere projections. The human brain conceives of a cosmic mind of which the brain itself is a tiny copy. Or, does the cosmic mind, the mainframe 
of intellect in the universe replicate itself in some minuscule way in that mini wonder called the human brain. That's where I live, obviously. Who can determine where this hall of mirrors begins? It seems hardly likely that it begins with us alone. The eye with which I see God and the eye with which God sees me are the same eye, says the great Christian mystic Meister Eckhart. The mirror turns both ways. That for me is the essence of the whole deal, people. I believe the mirror and so do any people who are attached to a spiritual understanding um, in the world, the mirror reflects both ways. Yes, we project our image of God out of our own human experience. And who's to say that we are not mere reflections of the divine intelligence, the divine mind. And we, here we are thinking, we are everything and we're projecting God. Okay, yeah, maybe you're just the image on the wall that Justin has up there and you think, I have the truth. And you're just being projected. Projection works both ways. And for me, that's a beautiful thing. I don't need to deny the one for the other. Right? All of us can say, okay, yes, this is all a projection, Rabbi, of what we deal with as human beings and we call it God. Of course! Because what other language are we going to use? But what if all of it is truly a reflection of the divine and miniature? Then aren't we kind of accurate? In using this description, right? So, just saying. All right. I'm going to leave you with that unless there are final questions. Are there any final comments or questions? Then say, Cham le Shalom. Go to the rest of your night, yeah, such as it is, uh, in peace. And thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening at home. <laughs>